Have you guys had a great week? Let's go. Same here. Same here. If you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 20 as we get to finish our time together. Before I dive in, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you who have just made this a special week for me and my family. I've had an absolute blast. It has been a privilege to be able to hang out with you these past couple days. And a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to actually be a camp director at Hume for three and a half years. And I've ran a lot of weeks of camp, let me tell you. But this one has to go down as one of my all-time favorite. And a big reason is because of who you guys are and the way I got to watch Jesus interact with you this week. I think of last night as we watched so many stand up and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the first time. So I just want to give a round of applause to who those people are. As we watched a miracle take place, we watched people go from death to life. And there's also a couple people before I dive in that deserve some thanks. If you are a youth pastor or a counselor, I want you to stand up. Youth pastor or counselor, I want you to stand up. Youth pastors, counselors, stand up. Stand up. Stand up. I want you to stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Students, look at me. These men and women are the heroes of the faith that I look up to. Because they, day in and day out, are praying for you. They, day in and day out, text you, begging you to come to church and begging you to go get lunch with them. Take them up on the offer. It's free lunch. (laughs) They love you more than I could ever express. And I'm going to get into it tonight that you don't go home alone. But look at these faces. Look at who they are. Get to know them. Spend time with them. Let them pour into you. Let them tell you things that are hard because they love you. Amen? Give it up for your counselors and youth pastors. I also want to take a moment, and they're sitting all back there. Give it up for your Hume Lake New England staff. To Maddie and Cam, the leads, the kitchen staff, the support service staff, the maintenance staff, the medical staff, all the staff. They take, they take a summer out of their life that they'll never get back, and they take that summer to make but chump change to serve you in the kingdom of God. And they get to do it with smiles on their faces. And they get tired week in and week out. But they depend on who Jesus is and thus can put on what you guys got to walk into this week. So give it up for your Hume Lake staff. This could not happen without them. Also, give it up for Kendall and the band one time, too. How about that? It's been so fun getting to know them. And the band's from California, so I felt like I got to get a little taste of home while I was here. It was awesome. Uh, And also, thank you to my family and my wife who took care of my daughters while I was speaking. She is a baller for the kingdom of heaven, a baller mom, and my best friend. And I couldn't do this without them. So open your Bibles to John chapter 
20 as we get to dive in and finish out our time together. We've covered a lot of ground this week. First time we were together, we looked at the truth of who God is, that he's been present since eternity's past, and he will be present in eternity's future, that out of his breath, he created every living thing, that he holds the weight of the waters in the palm of his hand, but he's not just this almighty God who created and took a step back and left creation time to figure it out. No, he is a intentional, intimate God who dwells with his creation right alongside And then we got to see that God in his infinite wisdom wrote a book that you have sitting in your laps this evening, the very word of God, the Bible. We etched through the history of its text. We etched through the authority of the text that it is authored and penned by God himself, that it is the beam light to what truth really is. Then from cover to cover, we looked at it, and what is the truth that from Genesis to Revelation, the first book and the last book, what truth is it proclaiming, and it's proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. We watch Jesus do miracles, raise people from the dead, give sight to the blind, preaching about the good news that he and the Father are one. And then on Thursday morning, we had a hard truth where you and I had to wrestle through the reality of our sin. The reality that because of sin, our wages equal death, not only physically, but eternally, eternally separated from God and eternally separated from love. But Jesus Christ on Thursday night enters in, taking the very weight of our sin, taking the very wages that we were due to pay, he substitutes himself in your place and in my place and pays the ultimate price that you might have new life. And then we got to watch how he didn't just stay dead, he didn't just stay in the grave, but on the third day walks out in victory over death, thus proclaiming that the debt has been paid in full. That in Jesus, you can have life and life abundantly. That in the resurrection, you can now be adopted into the family of God. That once you were lost, identified by your sin, now you are found identified by who Jesus is, his righteousness, his holiness, his goodness. And he, you get to exchange your sin for who Jesus is. And you guys got to walk into the family of God. And tonight, we get to walk into the truth of the life of the believer. So what happens now? The so what to you came to camp, you experienced and got to listen to what truth is. But the truth is tomorrow you go home. Tomorrow you pack up. See, we were never meant to stay here. God transformed your life this week on purpose and for a purpose. And we get to dive into what that purpose is this evening. So tonight's message is gonna consist of three main points The first is the deep and everlasting encouragement that the God of the universe goes home with you, back to your homes, communities, and every school you attend through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the the guarantee that you are going to face hardship when you go home. You're going to face trials. You as a believer, especially on this coast of the United States, are the minority. On your campuses, in your homes, in your neighborhoods. And what does that mean for you? And finally, that Jesus and God desires 
to not only save you on purpose, but for an eternal purpose. So let's look to John chapter 20, verse 19. So when it was evening on the day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. So Jesus dies, he's raised again on the third day, and the disciples, they're hiding out in this room, and they've closed the door because they're afraid. Okay, they killed Jesus three days ago. What are they going to do to us? Then all of a sudden, just like that, Jesus appears in the middle of the room. That's pretty stinking awesome. And Jesus says to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side where they cut into him. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has, has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus meets the disciples in the midst of their fear. And I love how Jesus says twice, peace be with you. Shalom be with you. The peace of God may dwell in your hearts richly in the midst of this fearful moment. And then Jesus promises something to them and bestows something to them. He says, now receive the Holy Spirit. So this raises the question, what is the Holy Spirit? But I'm gonna rephrase that to who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit isn't a what, The Holy Spirit is a who. The very presence and power and being of God dwelling in the heart of each believer. That Jesus bestows his very presence into the heart of everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord. So what does the Holy Spirit do? What is its role? If you have your Bibles, flip back to John chapter 14 where Jesus gets into this in quite some detail. So flip back to John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. This is the spirit of what? Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying that those who have put their faith in who Jesus is, they've given their life to Jesus, that now the helper, the very spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is now going to dwell in the innermost parts of everyone who calls Jesus Lord. And this goes along with the whole theme of scripture of God dwelling with his people. In Genesis chapter one, God creates everything and then chooses to dwell with his people in the garden of Eden, walking with them in the cool of the day. And then sin enters the world, but that doesn't stop God from having contact with his created. He sets up a system and a temple system where he says, I'm going to dwell there. And God dwells with his people in the temple. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. That God is choosing to be with the people of God. 
not abandoning them, but being with them. And then we see this in Matthew chapter 1 in the Gospels, that God now transitions from being present in the temple to now being present fully in the bodily form of Jesus Christ, that he dwells with his people, not a God who just steps back and lets us figure it out, but a God who walks intentionally with his creation. And then Jesus is going to be killed, laid in a grave, raised on the third day, but he's going to go and he's going to ascend into heaven, but he just doesn't leave us by ourselves. He promises a helper, his very power and presence in the life of a believer, meaning that you and I have full access to the power of God at all times. So what does this helper do? In John 14, 25, it says this, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, here's what he does. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor be fearful. This helper has come to help you bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus has taught. All the things that Jesus has said to go and love one another as I have loved you. To go and obey all that I've commanded you. To go and love those who are hard to love. To go and love your enemies. To go and pursue those who are broken, who are widowed, and who are orphaned. To go give to those who are in need. To be humble, take your eyes off yourselves and look at the world around you even when it's hard. How do we remember those things? We remember and focus our eyes on them because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. I understand in order for me to do any earthly good in the name of Jesus, I need the Holy Spirit alive and well in who I am. That I just don't automatically remember things. It's not gonna be on my own power that anything of eternal significance happens. And this is insanely freeing, that it's not dependent on you, but the Holy Spirit at work in your life. It's submitting every day saying, God, it's you, it's not me, use me today, bringing to mind all that Jesus has said. So how can we tell the difference between me telling myself something in my own mind versus what the Holy Spirit is communicating? What is the filter, and the filter is that of scripture. The Holy Spirit will not communicate anything that is in contradiction with this book. So what does that mean? That means we have to know what's in this book. We need to spend time in this book because this book speaks the very language of God. A couple, uh, about a month ago, I had an opportunity with some of my uh, closest friends to get on a plane and go to Nicaragua. And I've never been there before. Second poorest country on the Western Hemisphere, and we got a chance to serve and see what God was doing there. Now let me just tell you, I know all of zero Spanish. I took like three years of Spanish in high school, nothing. Like my teacher literally told me not to come take the final and she would raise my grade, like true story. And I was like, this is a miracle from God. I will not deny it. I'm staying home, right? 
Like I knew no Spanish and I didn't know the language. I didn't know what they were saying. It's like I could ask to go to the bathroom and that was like it. I was like, Matt needs to figure out more than one question. They're gonna think he has like a bladder problem, right? But I realized I could not understand what they were saying until Eleanor, our site leader, an incredible woman who has but nothing but is serving God with everything that she is. Joy of the Lord is bountiful in her life. She began to speak to me in English and there I was finally able to understand her. But not only that, she taught me her language and I learned how to say more than go to the bathroom but I could actually ask for food, which was a major plus. But when I realized when we spoke the same language, I could understand what she was trying to communicate. It's so important that we understand the language of the Holy Spirit and that language is found in the pages of this Bible. And so often I trade it for lesser things. I fill my time with lesser things. It's hard for the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance things Jesus has taught if I don't know what Jesus has taught. Spend time with him. This isn't a legalistic push to spend time in your Bibles. This is me communicating to you that God wants to know you and you to know him. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to share in the same language of love with you. So as you begin to fill your heart with his word, the Holy Spirit can call back the things that you have read and put into practice in your life. We don't know the language of the Holy Spirit if we first don't spend time in his word. I love how you guys had a chance to memorize it. Like the key to recreation, right? It's awesome. How many of you memorized all your verses this week? Well, punk rock, there you go. Look at that crowd. Well done, well done. Air high five. Good job. And my hope is you just don't fill your head with scripture for rec points. Or you don't fill your head with scripture because your pastor says you should. My hope is that you would fill your head and your heart with the truth of God's word so you can understand the depth of his love for you. Because when the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the things Jesus has taught, you realize that you're more loved than you could ever imagine. You're more forgiven than you could ever dream. And the Holy Spirit reminds you of whose you are, that you are God's. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 13, attests or speaks to this truth of the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words. Now that you have received the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, spiritual words meaning the very words of God. You guys, more than any other generation before you, have more misinformation at the palm of your hands than ever before. You guys have to intake so much information that isn't even true. What are you filtering that with? May we filter it through the truth of God's word that the Holy Spirit remind us what our foundation is in Jesus. Now I also want us to understand something in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, not in words taught by human wisdom. This brings us to our second point. That human wisdom, or what you're going to encounter when you go home, 
when you say to your friends who don't know Jesus, I gave my life to Christ this week, they're gonna look and go, why? Why would you do that? Why give up your freedom to connect yourself to God? You're gonna be a minority in your school. Some of you are first-generation believers in your own homes. There's adversity around the corner. I'm just being honest with you that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our life doesn't get easier. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm a very bad salesman. Jesus promises just as the world hated him, the world is going to hate you. In John 15, if you have your Bibles, which you should, look at verses 18 through 25. I think I got that right. Yep. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would, have not, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Jesus, what are you saying? I love how he says, the slave is not greater than the master. Jesus being our master, that if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you because you're the truth, the truth of who God is, is counter to what the world would say. The world would say that you're the arbiter of truth, meaning you get to determine what truth is. God says that isn't the case. I determine what truth is. The world would say just pursue all earthly pleasures and then you die and that's it. Just do whatever you want. Live like there's no tomorrow. But Jesus would say, live in light of eternity. Live as if I am with you, for I am with you. I am here to build my kingdom here on earth, that you have an eternal purpose, that you are not an accident. It's hard being a believer. I think of the life of Paul, or before, if you know, in the book of Acts, chapter 9, there's a guy, his name's Saul. And Saul is a persecutor of Christians. This guy literally would hold coats. Well, Stephen, a, a profound disciple of God, a guy who loved Jesus' passion, who's being stoned to death. And Saul, Saul is standing there holding the coats of those killing Stephen. And Paul I mean, Saul in this moment would also travel to different cities arresting Christians and imprisoning them for their faith, separating families, killing believers. And then Saul, as he's on the way with a list of Christians to murder in his pocket, he has an interaction with God on the road and it radically changes his life. And God changes his name from Saul to Paul and Saul would go on to write the third of your whole New Testament inspired by scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Paul's life was hard. This guy was shipwrecked three times. I would never get on a boat if I were that guy. 
three times. He's bit by a snake and almost dies. He gets stoned by a crowd, gets up out of the rocks, brushes himself off, and goes back into the city. The guy is like the Chuck Norris before Chuck Norris. But the point is, here's a guy who passionately followed Jesus, and hardship was around every corner. But it was worth it. Because the testing of his faith produces endurance produces hope that cannot be stripped away. Another one of my favorite stories about people who chose to follow God even when it didn't make sense to the culture around them. In the book of Daniel, there's three best friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Weird names, I know, Bible names, there's something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are Jewish individuals who worship the one true God, Yahweh the God of the universe. But the Jewish people are, are captured by a foreign pagan nation called the Babylonians. And King Nebuchadnezzar brings his entire nation along with those Jews he has held captive. Again, these three friends being in that crowd. And Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue of himself. And he looks at the crowd and he says, when the trumpets play and the flutes play, I want everyone to bow to this idol of me, worshiping me as God. And the music plays and everyone falls prostrate on the ground, bowing down to this idol except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this freaks Nebuchadnezzar out. He begins pulling out his hair. He's like, heck no. If they, we're going to try this again. And if they don't, I'm going to throw these three men into a furnace of fire. And they'll be incinerated. They'll be burned alive. And he pulls up these three friends and says, if you don't, this is what's going to happen to you. They look at each other and go, all right. They go back in the crowd. The trumpets play. The flutes play. Everyone bows down. And again, these three friends stand up straight and tall. Nebuchadnezzar, losing his mind, is like, that's it. I told them what was going to happen. He heats up the fiery furnace ten times its normal heat. And people just standing close to it begin to die. And then... Here is Shadrach, Meshach's, and Abednego's response to their impending soon to be thrown into the furnace. They say this, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of, our hand, out of your hand, O king. But this strikes me. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship this golden image that you have set up. Them understanding who really is the king in control of it all, not Nebuchadnezzar, not some guy who builds an idol to himself, not a culture who says you need to chase after this, that, and the other. These three knew who was on the throne. They knew that they could do, Nebuchadnezzar could do anything to them physically, but their eternity was secure in who Jesus is. That death is merely a doorway to spending eternity with God, that the worst thing that heaven, that earth could do to you does not trump the heavenly blessings that await you. And, and I love how they said, even if God doesn't save us, he is still good. And what ends up happening is Nebuchadnezzar throws him in the furnace and turns his back around, starts to walk away, and goes, hey, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, come see this. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in, and he sees not three figures, but four figures in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, didn't we not send three? Why do I see 
4, as they saw the very presence of God standing in the fire with them, and it says, not a hair on their head was singed. And then these three friends come out of the furnace, and the most beautiful revival of the most pagan nation of the day takes place. Nebuchadnezzar looks at them and goes, truly, I am not God, and your God is ruler and almighty, and the entire nation of Babylon begins worshiping God. They tear down the idols. What if, I contend, what if your hardship, your going through what you're going through, brings others to Christ as they see you persevere? What if people watching you struggle go, there has to be something to that? Because if there wasn't anything to that, that person would just crumble and fall but they still stand strong in their faith despite persecution, despite ridicule. There's something different about that. And that gives you a wide open door to share the truth of who Jesus is. God doesn't waste trials. He uses them for his glory. And I'm not telling you that that's gonna happen in an instant. I'm not telling you that by you doing that, it's gonna happen in six months or a year. For some, your suffering might go on for a long time. But Jesus promises to be with you in the midst of the furnace. That he's doing something in you, changing you from the inside out. And Jesus sends you with a promise. In John 16, 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have, ta- you will have tribulation. But then he says this, Take courage, for I have overcome the world. The world did its worst to Jesus. The world mocked him, the world beat him, the world spat on him, the the world completely rejected him, the world killed him, and yet what happened? He rose again. Jesus took on the worst the world had to give and he was found victorious. And that same spirit that was found victorious in Jesus, look at me, as you as a believer lives inside of you that you do not go home alone, that you do not suffer alone, that Jesus is in the midst of it, empowering you every single day. In Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus promises that he will be with you to the end of the age. When you go home tomorrow, you're not going home alone. Even when you step foot in that doorway and you're the only believer in your family, Jesus steps through the doorway with you when you're at school and you don't even know around you who might be another believer, Jesus sits in the desk with you. When you're blue in the face because you've invited these people to youth group 17,000 times, Jesus commends you not for successfully being someone to bring someone to youth group, but looks at you and go, well done my good and faithful servant. Keep at it, keep going, endure for I am with you. Not only does the spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead go with you, look around. You're not alone. Your youth pastors and counselors, we just pointed them out. Your fellow believers who came to camp with you, lean into them. Two things you can't do by yourself. Get married and be a Christian. In our culture, maybe you can do the first by yourself, but I'm not going to get into that. (laughs) Two things you can't do by yourself. Get married and be a Christian. Guys, you were not meant to do this life alone. You were not meant to just try to figure out the Christian life by yourself. I have three friends who I talk to constantly, who I repent to. They're my three closest guys. I'm not saying like have 35 friends. If that's you, well done. I have three. (laughs) 
and I keep them close. Why? Because I couldn't do this life without them. I couldn't do this life without their encouragement. I couldn't do this life without their accountability. You go home as a community, not as an individual. You go home as a family of God, not as a single person trying to figure it out on your own. That you are better together. Don't be an island, especially when you go home. This was me. I went to camp, and I was like, man, I left with this super camp high, and I remember my dad was a guy who just loves Jesus. I was like, dad, wake me up at 4.30 so I can get in the word with you, and then he woke me up at 4.30. I was like, yeah, false, roll over. And I remember I woke up at like 7.30, 8 o'clock, and I just felt so terrible. It's like I'd just been to camp, and I can't even wake up and spend time with Jesus. What's the point? And you see, that was the lie of Satan himself whispering in my ear. Guys, you're going to go home, and I'm just going to let you in on a secret. You're going to mess up. So am I. (laughs) I'm probably going to mess up in 30 minutes after chapel, say something I shouldn't. But God's grace is sufficient for you. It's a lie from the devil that when you mess up and we begin to push the Bible across the coffee table saying, God doesn't want to spend time with me. Look at me, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus forgave you for it. His grace is sufficient for you. You go with Jesus. And finally, you've been saved on purpose and for a purpose. Not to just go home, sit on your hands and wait for Jesus to come make everything anew. In Matthew 28, we get what's called the Great Commission. Jesus' last and final parting words before he ascends into heaven. And he says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you to do. And here it is. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit, the helper dwells with you so that you can go and be a light in dark places, so that you can go and present the gospel to people who are in such dire need of it. And here's a few ways you can share the gospel. You can do it audibly. You can talk to your friends about who Jesus is, and that requires boldness, but know the power of God goes with you. I know it's hard. I know it's scary, but God is with you in the midst. Two, you guys can love each other well. The way you love one another is gospel work. I'm going to say it again. The way you love one another is gospel work. They will know you are my disciples by what? The way that you love each other. We don't do this very well right now. Cancel culture is insane. We find any and every reason to disagree with someone and completely disown them. But what does it look like? What does it look like for us to actually practice what Jesus taught and to turn the other cheek and to love that person with all that we are? The way that you guys treat each other is important, is vital. If the world looks at a church divided, you look no different than a world divided. What if the world looked at a church that in the midst of differences and disagreements still wrapped their arms around each other and loved each other well? A couple years ago, I'm a big basketball fan. I got to go to the Duke University in North Carolina, Boo Tar Heels. 
but I, I got to watch practice. And there were two brothers, Mason and Miles Plumley. They're behemoths of men. They're like seven feet tall. I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? Like, it's crazy. And I got to sit there and I got to watch practice. And they played one-on-one after practice. And these guys are punching each other in the face. I'm not exaggerating. They're fighting. They're kicking each other. I was like, this is like my two daughters going at. I was like, what is going on? But then practice ends. Practice ends. And Mason, Miles' older brother, wraps his arm around him and they walk out of practice together as brothers. Guys, we're gonna disagree with each other in the family of God. But what does it look like to put Jesus' agenda first over you being right? We don't need any more jerks for Jesus. We don't. We don't. When I talk to people who are going, I don't know if I wanna be a part of the church because I see how you guys treat each other. See how you guys slander each other and gossip each other. Guys, the way you guys treat each other is gospel work. And that's within the family of God. What does it look like to also to love those well outside of the family of God? To when people hurt you and yet you still choose to pursue them. This is what Jesus did, did he not? That Jesus didn't just die for the 12, he died for the very person nailing him to the cross to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's a love that stands the test of time. And we do that through grace and truth. We point out things that indeed are sin, but we do that in grace. Pointing out that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, that he's paid for that, that you don't have to continue to live in darkness. You can live in his marvelous light. Friends, this is truth. That the God of the universe loved you so much that he would stop at nothing to make you a part of his family, that he would bear the very cost of your sin, that you have an opportunity to live a life eternally in hope, now an eternal hope after the life that is over, that now God just doesn't leave you to go down the hill to figure it out. Yes, it's gonna be hard. Yes, it's gonna be difficult. I'm not trying to sell you something, but what I am trying to get you to understand is God goes with you. The very truth of God, the very spirit of God, the very love of God dwells in your very soul. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead goes home with you. Guess what? Even if you don't feel like it does. Because truth doesn't change. And his presence never changes. And his promise is true that he goes with you. Even in moments that I don't feel it, I have to still preach it to myself. God, you're with me even though I don't feel you. God isn't bound to my emotions. He uses my emotions, but he's not bound to them. God goes with you. And with God, you can do insane things for his kingdom. What does it look like for you to go home? to walk in as the minority on your campus, to walk in in the minority in your city, the minority in your home, and trust in the Lord and know that you're not going home alone, but you go home with the power of God and the support of his church. You're not alone. If someone else tells you otherwise, it's a lie. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And God is gonna use you in ways you could only dream or imagine when we give up our own agenda and follow after him faithfully. You guys are going to disciple the next generation of Jesus followers. Jesus looks at you 
and says, let's do this, let's go. The world, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New York, the East Coast desperately needs the light of Jesus Christ and he's looking at you saying, let's go together. Let's do this. Fear not for I've overcome the world, Amen? amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you're good. You're awesome. God, I thank you for this week. God, I thank you that your presence just doesn't dwell in a week of camp. God, we've merely just given you our undivided attention for five days. God, I pray as we go home, Jesus, we give you the same honor, the same attention, God. And when that trial hits, may we understand that you are with us in the midst of it, that you grieve with us, you mourn with us. God, you do that alongside of us. You just don't watch us from afar, God, that you dwell in the very midst. I pray against the lie of Satan in our flesh that would say that we are alone, that we're on an island. God, nothing could be farther from the truth. God, I pray that we would lean on our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would support each other and encourage one another, that we wouldn't tear each other down. Life with you and doing life is hard enough. Let's lift each other up, God. I just thank you and I just pray God, a special blessing and anointing over these students, counselors, and youth pastors. God, that as they go home, may they see you in incredible ways. May they feel your presence, God, as you begin to etch names on their heart of people who so desperately need you. God, I pray that they would lean into your power, that it's not gonna be done on their own strength. It's gonna be done through the power that raised you from the dead, Jesus. God, we love you, and we thank you, and we give you all the glory for this week. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.